It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who in light, light them up, boys, there's your picture, drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is... December the 20th, 2011, Jingle Bells, boys and girls, hell's bells, Jingle Bells, oh, oh, jolly jingle, we'll have a jolly jingle, a wassail, a drinking party, something pagan for the night of the mother, you know. Ah, a little, no, a lot of night music, celebrate ancient traditions, the mystic runes of the pagan poets, never mind. I think maybe I will have a drink this year, (laughs) bring myself back to life, if that's the only way I can do it. You know, it's all about the babe, the rebirth, the symbol of renewal, renaissance, I like that word better, renaissance. I like that better than renaissance. Eternal spring, damn it. Ah, yes, the grass, perennial. Oh, hold tight to the green, the seasonal circle. Reap and sow, the world is round, round we go. Happy Christmas and a bloodless new year, yes. Okay... The world is round, Gertrude Stein. Last night I got the giggles. I heard something on the radio about the war being over. You know the war? The one in Iraq? That war. Said the war's over. Um, whoopee! Johnny comes marching home again. The president met the troops and said, Welcome home! I wonder who won. You remember that? That mess with the mission accomplished sign. Never mind. Oy vey. Anyway, I found a page in Gertrude Stein's essay, The Coming of the Americans, back in 1944, when the G.I.s, the Americans, came to Paris. They were going to liberate the French from the Germans. French don't like to talk about that too much, you know, because... <laughs> oh, well, never mind. Um, I shouldn't have read that article on Sarkozy, the French president. Ah, oh, France is a mess these days. Almost as crazy as we are. Anyway, I just thought this was ironic or funny or maybe it's not so funny. Anyway, Gertrude Stein had a wonderful time with the GIs when they came to Paris uh, at the end of World War II. They just partied and partied and she was so happy to see them and she got... uh well, she said she'd come all over patriotic. Uh, <laughs> anyway, here is a couple of lines from Gertrude Stein's essay. Ah, uh, the French. Yes, the French folks. She's in a village. 
outside Paris. And the uh, French have been liberated by the Americans and the Germans have lost the war in 1944. And Gertrude Stein writes, quote, Today the village is excited, terribly excited, because they are shaving the heads of the girls who kept company with the Germans during the occupation. It is called the Coiffure of 1944. Naturally, it is terrible because the shaving is done publicly. It is being done today. It is, as I have often said, life in the Middle Ages. It certainly is most interesting and logical. It certainly is. And she goes on to write an awful lot more about the uh, Jews, um, and how they dealt with the police. Gertrude Stein, of course, was Jewish, but that's another long story. Okay. Uh, that day, that day was the 1st of September, I think she said, 1944. Okay, that's what Gertrude had to say about the civilization uh, of Europe. It's our, my, I guess, Judeo-Christian civilization now said to be having a culture clash with uh, Islamism, one of the uh, isms, you know, uh, radical Islam, Tony Blair and Chris Hitchens think it's the enemy, the enemy, the enemy, the enemy, Christopher Hitchens. Uh-huh. Oh, I'll get to Christopher Hitchens in a minute. I would opine, not that I know anything, that Christopher Hitchens uh, had a few moments of, uh, well, let's say, a few pages missing there in his head at the end. I would attribute that to the booze. But before I get started on Chris, uh, Christopher Hitchens... I'd like to jump into a little snippet I've found. Uh, my favorite political writer, Hendrik Hertzberg, in uh, The New Yorker of December 19, has written some things about Newt, Newt Gingrich. And <laughs> yes, Newt, <laughs> watching Monty Python, right, changed me into a Newt, remember, John Cleese? Remember, they're trying a witch. And he says, she changed me into a newt. And then they look at him, and he's a man. And he says, well, I got better. I don't think we're going to get better. I think we just might get newt. Anyway, uh, my favorite political writer, Henry Kersberg, is suggesting, well, he's asking us to imagine. Oh, I knew this would happen. Imagine. Oh. Uh, Newt Gingrich behind that desk in the Oval Office. Can you, he says, go on, imagine it. I, I really tried not to see this coming. I just couldn't, couldn't handle it. Uh, Heinrich, uh, Henrik says, after being written off as an unpleasant relic of the mid-90s, 
Newt Gingrich can plausibly imagine himself behind a desk in the Oval Office. Yeah, go on, imagine it. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, but he's right. The lurching, clumsy, embarrassing current uh, Republican primary campaign uh, is about as god-awful. Uh, I have never tried so hard not to see something going on, but... Uh, Let's see, it says here, he says, as a futurist, Gingrich has imagined, quote, populism in space. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, let me read you just a little bit of what Herzog says. We have to face these things nauseating as they are. We must face facts. Is Newt Gingrich a fact or is he fictional? <laughs> anyway, uh, Hersberg goes on to write, as the protagonist of the tale, imagine, if you will, a man who, as Speaker of the House, orchestrates the impeachment of a president for an adulterous affair with a White House aide, 26 years his junior, while he himself is conducting an adulterous affair with a congressional aide, 22 years his junior, having earlier left the first of his three wives while she was hospitalized with cancer. Imagine a man who attributes these behaviors to, quote, quote from Newt Gingrich, uh, he attributes his behavior to, quote, how passionately I felt about this country, unquote. Imagine a man who told he can't sit in a front section of Air Force One, shuts down the government. Imagine a man who becomes the only House Speaker ever to be disciplined for ethics violations. Imagine a man who, in a country just staggering out of the worst recession of the past 50 years and facing the threat of worldwide economic collapse, proposes to hire small children to work as janitors, mopping floors, Cleaning toilets in their schools or their orphanages, perhaps imagine that man as commander-in-chief. It's no stretch for him. His fantasy life is so rich that he has already compared himself to Abraham Lincoln, Charles de Gaulle, Margaret Thatcher, Ronald Reagan, and uh, for sheer perseverance, Ho Chi Minh. <laughs> anyway, Eric Hertzberg goes on to write in Talk of the Town in The New Yorker. He writes, the latest CBS News New York Times survey of likely Iowa Republican caucus uh, goers shows Gingrich with nearly double Mitt Romney's support. That's twice as much support as the front-runner Mitt Romney has. Okay, folks. Article goes on. Among white Christian evangelicals, it's more than triple. And among Tea Party loyalists, it's well north of four to one. You must, you might think, you might imagine that the so-called family values voters would have serious doubts. You might think that Tea Partiers especially would recoil from this consummate beltway operator and frequent ideological apostate. 
you know, career politician, self-proclaimed intellectual, um, million-dollar purveyor of, quote, advice as an historian to Freddie Mac. Uh, and this goes on and on and on and on. Oh, dear. Yes. <laughs> All the things that... Uh, Newt Gingrich has done to, what would you call it, uh, position himself as, uh, what is it, he calls himself an idea man, right? Uh, was it, there's some joke about, um, was it, they fill a whole room with his ideas and then there's one little envelope that says the good ones, yes. Uh, he's had two good ideas in his lifetime. Anyway, um, Yes, he, uh, yes. <laughs> Gingrich's sudden rise and special appeal to the emotions of the base, one suspects, stem less from his vaulted big ideas than from his long-cultivated, unparalleled talent for contempt. That's it. That's got it. Okay. This is where I have a, a big red mark in my... In my uh, magazine here. Talent for contempt. That's Newt Gingrich. He knows how to sneer. In 1990, when he was not yet speaker, he pressed a memo on Republican candidates for office, instructing them to use certain words, 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 when talking about the Democratic enemy. You know that bit I'm cutting in here. He, he calls it now the Democrat Party. Uh, okay, the Democratic enemy used these words, he writes this list. Betray, bizarre, decay, anti-flag, anti-family, pathetic, lie, cheat, radical, sick, traitors, on and on and on. Okay. <laughs> you know, this is like those little kids when I was a school teacher. They like to just stand there and shout, um, holler, naughty words. I remember once in a... Classroom years ago, we'd had what was called in those days a race riot. I started putting the uh, the names on the chalkboard, all of the things that uh, we used to demean one another. You know, mix, pick, and wop. That meant without papers is a word for Italians. Anyway, I reduced the classroom to tears. One of the kids ran down to get the principal to make me stop. I was trying to explain to them that language can kill, that it can poison, can break the heart. Anyway, uh, I was, I, I was disciplined for, uh, causing trouble. Anyway, this article by, uh, Hertzberg goes on to talk about, uh, Gingrich's tactics, you know, his vocabulary of contempt. Uh, he says this uh, contempt has grown only more poisonously flowery. President Obama's actions cannot be understood, he says, except as an expression of, this is quote, Kenyan, that is from Kenya, Kenyan anti-colonial behavior, unquote. What the hell? He's an anti-colonial Kenyan, uh, his father is, uh, the father is dead now, but, uh, the president's father was, uh, born in Kenya. This is true. 
Ah, but the president himself is not a citizen of that country anyway. Liberals, says Newt Gingrich, constitute a, quote, secular socialist machine, unquote. Uh, it's another quote, as great a threat to America as Nazi Germany or the Soviet Union, <laughs> both of which no longer exist. Okay, okay. Okay, yes, he said that. He said that. It's a quote, as great a threat to America as Nazi Germany or the Soviet Union, unquote. Okay, another quote. Uh, from Gingrich, yes. There's, uh, quote, a gay and secular fascism in this country that wants to impose its will on the rest of us and is prepared to use violence, unquote. Okay. In this uh, current campaign, Gingrich's performances in televised debates have been widely deemed effective. In other words, this stuff is working, folks. Guess what? Uh, what has won him his most visceral cheers from the audience uh, in the halls is his sneering attacks on the moderators of all things. You know, uh, he says that the audiences today are shaped and coarsened by years of listening to talk radio and watching Fox News. Uh, especially the moderators, yes, who represent the hated liberal media. He goes for them, right? Uh, attack the messenger. Good plan. Okay. Uh, <laughs> this, this stuff isn't funny. Back in March at the Cornerstone Church in San Antonio, Newt Gingrich declared, quote, I am convinced that if we do not decisively win the struggle over the nature, N-A-T-U-R-E, the struggle over the nature of America, uh, he goes on to say his grandchildren will live, quote, in a secular atheist country, potentially one dominated by radical Islamists and with no understanding of what it once meant to be an American. Hmm. Okay, Hertzberg says that last spring, this was a kind of right-wing performance art. Now... It is the language of the man leading in the Republican polls, a man who, in the real world, not the alt world, no, the real world could not inconceivably become President of the United States. Imagine that. That's how he ends this article. You can find it in the New Yorker of December 19 and 26, the current New Yorker. It's all about how Newt Gingrich, you know, he goes right to the reptilian brainstem. He uses the language. I'm sure he will use the visual arts soon enough. Uh, it's amazing. The, the guy, you know, this is the kind of stuff I remember from middle school. Uh, my favorite uh, story is Newt Gingrich's habit. When he was speaker, he told the young congressman, the Republican Newcomers, he said, leave your families at home back in the state uh, and come to Washington just, you know, to do battle, to fight um, the Democrats. Uh, he uninvited them. He didn't want them to have a social life in Washington where in the past it was possible for the uh, political parties to get together, particularly, you know, the wives, the families. 
you know, uh, civilization. Civilization begins with a rose, as Gertrude Stein tells us, right? You know, the sort of people who hang out and talk to each other and whose children go to school together and live together in a civilized country and have civilized arguments and exchanges. Newt Gingrich likes the, ah, he likes the, what would we call it, the war metaphor. I like to call it, uh, yes, they're after their wargasm. They want a wargasm. I don't know. I'm still, what is it, uh, I'm still considering that film, The Fog of War, in which poor McNamara, no, dead, but he talked about Vietnam and he said that he realized at some point in those years that he could not think or process information without thinking in terms of the enemy. Uh, I still think of that as the... Uh, pre-adolescent, actually not even adolescent, the pre-adolescent behavior. It's this sort of little kid who has a, you know, a temper tantrum. Uh, anyway, it's infantile thinking, and it's very, very sad. Uh, we know that uh, Newt Gingrich, well, the, the BBC calls him smugly arrogant. Uh, I think it's okay for the BBC to call an American smugly arrogant, especially when he is. I used to think he was just a loose cannon. <laughs> now I see that <laughs> it's exactly as Hertzberg says. He may be real. Uh, oh, I can't. I just can't go on wringing my hands over this nonsense. Um, such a horrible prospect. I think of Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale. I guess that would be the book to bring down to. KPFA this week, you know, uh, future as some kind of religious fundamentalist uh, madhouse. The president uh, uh, said not long ago that the right wing is not interested in governing. I hope he's got that through his head. Uh, anyway, uh, they are not interested in the future of the country. They are interested in getting rid of him. Um I, I don't know uh, how long it will be before they register that there are more important things to deal with. Uh, I'm not sure. I've been listening to the the other screwballs, the ones who are packing up for trips to another planet. <laughs> they don't sound so crazy to me anymore. Uh, never mind. Never mind. Ah, uh, yes, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. That's what I've gone back to. Uh, I think we need more, what do you call that? Yeah, more farce. More absolute nonsense to show what a debacle all this has become. Uh, it's giving me nightmares. I wake up screaming some days. Uh, I wanted to, yes, I wanted to tell you before I forget... Now, how I'm doing this these days, I just have once again eight, eight shows to to give you here. Eight major issues I want to talk about, and I never have the time. I used to have an hour. Never mind. Let me, I'm looking now for the things I mustn't forget. Oh, 
Toni Morrison will be honored next year. The big stuff for next year. Toni Morrison next September. There's going to be a, um, uh, let's call it an evening with Toni Morrison. Uh, she's been our official literary lion ever since she won the Nobel Prize for Literature back in uh, 1993. It was either 92 or 93. The date of her Nobel speech is 1993, so that must be it. Uh, Nikki Giovanni is putting together an event uh, at her school, University of Virginia. You know, the school where there was that terrible, tragic shooting last year and then a double killing to remind us of the past horrors. Anyway, welcome to the 21st century. Uh, Toni Morrison won the Nobel for her novel, Beloved, about the tragedy of a slave mother, her children crushed by uh, American society. Of course, uh, the prizes, the Nobel and so forth, uh, these honors um, are for her life's work. Nikki Giovanni is the one putting it together. As I said, she's promised Maya Angelou will be there. Oh, and I have no doubt Oprah will be there. Toni Morrison is 80. 80 years of age. She uses a wheelchair now. Um, right, Toni's three years older than I am. I always like to think of her as my age anyway. Nikki Giovanni has pointed out that it's a good idea to honor artists while they live. Um, We'll hear more about this event soon. I have a review here that I don't have time for, once again, of Toni Morrison's play Desdemona, which I saw over at Jellerbach Playhouse. An amazing, an amazing evening. Mostly African music. It's all about history. It's all about rethinking Shakespeare's Othello. Some wonderful stuff in that uh, play. I'm trying to get the script so that I can really tell you uh, the details. Toni Morrison's writing operas these days. I think that's so exciting. She can write anything she wants now. Great prose poems. That's what this Desdemona thing was. It was a dream play. I thought it was absolutely terrific. Uh, Anyway, I think all I have time for now. Oh, gee whiz, I guess. I do have a few minutes for Christopher Hitchens. God bless his bones. Uh, I think you remember uh, we heard him on KPFA this noon again. I was deeply grateful to hear him telling uh, telling the truth about patriarchy. <laughs> he knows about the shaved heads, that sort of thing. He knows perfectly well that the war on women is pretty universal, uh, whether it's the Taliban uh, or the guys who shaved the French girl's hair. Uh, uh-huh. Anyway, I've got pages and pages here about uh, Christopher Hitchens 
and uh, his understanding of the great lie. The trouble with Christopher, of course, is that he was honest down to the marrow of his bones. And this led him off into very strange, uh, you know, alleys and side, sidelines, side paths. Uh, I think, I think what happened was that he decided to cling to some absolutes. That's why he got hooked on this, uh, this notion that we have a culture war going and that Islam is dangerous to us. The fact is that in 15 years there's going to be 8 billion people on this planet and it is going to be very difficult uh, for us to live with any form of fundamentalism. Now, Christopher knows that, but he also should know that it doesn't help matters to start shooting wars uh, in order to solve these problems. Never mind. Uh, more about Christopher Hitchens another time. Uh, wish we had time. Well, next time we'll do the dragon tattoo and we'll do uh, that movie about who Shakespeare wasn't. I'll be back on the air next Tuesday at this same time. This has been Jennifer Stone. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Yes, the folk. You ever wondered about the folk? And why this music is so hard? Think about the What is funk? Where does it come from? Why does everybody want to rap on it, sample it, dance to it, make love to it, eat biscuits with it, take on the system with it? Who are these people? About the thing, baby, about the wrong thing, baby. You want to know about the history of funk? Tune in, Fridays at 10, with Ricky Vincent and the crew on KPFA.